Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, a joint effort from the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program, Suffolk University Law School's Advanced Legal Studies, the Chicago Bar Association's Law Practice Management and Technology, and the Massachusetts Bar Association. Each month, episodes are presented by nationally known experts on a range of legal marketing topics, including promoting, growing, and marketing your law firm and or practice. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. This is a webinar that's presented by Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, which is a brand of low map law office management assistance program. And uh, Legal Talk Network is helping us record these programs as well moving forward. And we're also going to start pushing out these archives through LTN in addition to. Uh, we run these webinars every month. And uh, next up, we'll have a program two weeks from now uh, with Dan Lear from AVO. And he's going to talk about how Twitter changed his life. That's actually what he's going to talk about. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Ernie Svensson is going to be our presenter today, as I said, and he's going to talk about paperless lawyering with a little bit of marketing thrown in, of course, because this is lunch hour legal marketing after all. Um, Ernie's known as Ernie the Attorney, and I and several other people consider him a paperless office expert, so he's the perfect person to do this today. Um, Ernie's a New Orleans attorney, as I mentioned before, and uh, he has a commercial litigation background. And actually, after Hurricane Katrina, he left a partnership and a 50-lawyer practice to start his own small paperless law firm. He's been successful at that, been successful as a consultant, been successful as a speaker. And he's written a few books, two of which I'll mention right now. One is uh, Blogging in One Hour for Lawyers, which is published through the ABA. And Ernie also recently recently came out with an ebook called PDF Essential for Lawyers that's self-published. And that's available through his website. Um, and I'll let Ernie tell you what his website is. Before I let Ernie talk, and Ernie, I will let you talk, I promise, um, I got some technical difficulty. That, <laughs> no, not technical difficulties. We finished those. I got some technical issues to tell folks about. So we have online attendees today, and we also have in-person attendees. All the online attendees are going to be muted. If you have a question, type it into the chat box, and after Ernie presents for about 45 minutes, we'll have him answer questions. We'll aggregate the questions in the chat box. If you're an in-person attendee at our office and you have a question, pass along a little note on a scrap of paper to Heidi Alexander, who's monitoring, monitoring the office party. She'll drop it into the chat, and then I'll aggregate all the questions at the chat at the end. We'll talk to Ernie for about 15 minutes, and then we'll finish up and do some in-person networking if you're here. Without further ado, then, let's have Ernie, the attorney, do his presentation. And thanks for doing this for us, Ernie. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me, Jared. And Thank you all for attending. I am very excited. I think this is going to be a really useful presentation for you guys. I love giving this talk because I think that what you're going to find is this is something that's incredibly useful. It will save you a lot of money, a lot of time, and it will help you instantly access your client files from anywhere, even if you're out of the office. So what we're going to talk about today, as you might have guessed, is the nuts and bolts of a paperless law office. Um, we're going to get into what that is and how you create one. So some of you have already started down this path of creating a paperless law office, and some of you are in the early stages of contemplation. But whatever stage you're in, today you will learn how to move forward in a way that's simple, sensible, and smooth. And by smooth, I mean like not disruptive. 
Now, I can't promise that there won't be any challenges. There obviously will be challenges because you're shifting from something that you understand and know how to operate without thinking about it to something that's new and different. And um, so there will definitely be some challenges. But I think the trick is to avoid unnecessary challenges. And so what I've seen is that a lot of lawyers who go down this path take up things that they really don't need to take up and then waste time and money and get frustrated and give up or find the road much more bumpy than it needs to be. So uh, that's one thing. The other thing is sometimes lawyers will take on what is a necessary challenge, an important challenge, but they'll take it on in the wrong way. They'll be too impatient. Um, they won't have a strategy and so forth. So if you go about it the right way, then it will be simple, um, sensible, and smooth. So the key thing here, though, is that many of you who are thinking, well, you know, how do I start, are actually um, farther along than you realize. So um, the most important thing to remember is that you've kind of you've already got digital files and so forth. So you've, you're starting to build up momentum in your practice using digital files and, you, and doing a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. So the trick really is to strategically leverage the momentum that you've already built up. And if you do that, then that keeps things simple, sensible, and smooth. So one question that people, I guess, have when I talk to them about this is they say, well, you know, why should I believe you? You know, why, why, why am I listening to you? And that's a good question, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm not a consultant. I don't sell software. I'm not a techie, really. I'm just a lawyer who learned how to use technology to improve my practice and to do things better. So, I'm, I, you know, the way I started was I was in a big firm uh, and I practiced there for 20 years doing commercial litigation. And over time, I realized that I was dealing with a lot of paper and things were complicated. My life was made easier because in a big firm, of course, you have paralegals and secretaries who are very efficient and knowledgeable. And so I relied on them to get a lot of this work done of you know, shepherding the paper around. But as I started playing around with technology, I realized that technology could do a lot of that work um, either to help the paralegals and secretaries or really to help me if I wanted to bypass um, using the paralegals and secretaries. So that's what I started to do. I started using software. I started using PDFs and doing some things that we're going to talk about. And what I discovered was after a while, I was pretty much self-sufficient operating inside of this big firm, doing things on my own, not really relying on secretaries or paralegals at all. So that's how I did it. So um, I started in about 2001. Uh, that's really when I started playing with PDFs and figuring all of this stuff out. And frankly, back then, it wasn't really that hard um, for me because you know, it was just me and I was just trying to figure out how to do it for myself. And you know, there were some issues that came up, like you know, which scanner do I get and what do I scan to? But I had plenty of time to do it because nobody was telling me I needed to be paperless and I wasn't even trying to be paperless. So it wasn't that hard back then. Today, um, it's really not that much harder, actually. It's, it's frankly a lot easier because a lot of the questions that I had about what to do and how to do it have been resolved or it's clear that lots of lawyers have done this in a certain way and that's probably the best way to do it if you're starting out. So um, the real trick though, as I said, is to figure out the strategy. So while the process and the rate of adoption for you may vary from what it was for me, the payoff is going to be exactly the same. And the payoff, I think, for you is going to be as it was for me, which is 
and I know this will sound kind of bold, but I learned how to practice law in a way that set me free. I already alluded to this when I said I didn't have to rely on secretaries and paralegals anymore, and that's really why I was able to go out on my own and do the same kind of work that I was doing in a big, sophisticated law firm with high overhead and do that kind of work for the same clients with just me, my laptop, and access to the Internet and knowledge of how to use technology. I would not have been able to go out on my own as easily or for as little money if I had not been paperless. I would have had to have gotten an office and I would have had to figure out how to hire a secretary and paralegal and all that sort of thing. I didn't need to do that because I had figured that out. So really, all of this you know, provides you a lot of benefits, this, this paperless law office. It can save you money, it can save you time, it can help you make more money. But I think the biggest payoff, the one that feels you know, the most real and essential to me, is this feeling of freedom, of being able to work anywhere at any time. Now, one thing about um, being paperless is it can um, make you more organized. So in my case, I was organized really because I had people who helped me be organized. I mean, inherently, I am not an organized person. I mean, not because I can't be. I love organization, but I don't obsess about it. And so therefore, left to my own devices, I'm not going to become you know, a shepherd for documents, and I'm not going to <clears throat> um, keep things tidy and put things in folders. You know, I'm just not going to do that. So if I had left to go out on my own and, and not been paperless, it would have been a much greater struggle for me than it was. So if you are paperless, and if you do a few simple things, you will find it very easy to be organized. The other thing about being paperless, and this is the big benefit really, is that you can find your information a lot faster. With paper, as we know, things get lost, things get misfiled. Um, a lot of times people hoard files on their desk because they think they're working on it or they think they might be working on it. And then their coworker who needs that file goes to the file and doesn't find it. And then they have to go on a search and rescue mission to find the files. And then they discover that they're on somebody's desk and they've been sitting there for three months. So all of that kind of stuff happens in the paper world. But in the paperless world, it doesn't because what you do is you pull up the document when you need to work on it. When you're done, you hit close. It goes back to where it was. You don't have to think about filing. And in the unlikely event, but it does happen, um, you know, that the, the document gets misfiled somewhere and you think, oh, gee, I, I don't know where I put it. You can easily find it by searching, especially if the document is text searchable, which all of your important documents should be. And we'll talk about that in a second. So it's very easy to find paper that's been misfiled or it's easy to find a document that maybe you've never even seen before, but somebody tells you exists and is somewhere amidst a stack of PDFs that you might be looking for, you simply type in a search request, look at the search results. It's basically like searching on Google. And you say, oh, there's the document, the document that you've never seen before, but you found very quickly. So that's not something that's possible in the paper world. The other thing that's um, important is that you can collaborate easily with other people. So in the paper world, you know, everybody has to gather around the paper and look at the paper. But in the digital world, if you're looking at documents on a computer screen, then it's very easy for other people that you share that, that computer screen with to see the same document. And they can either be in the same room with you or they can be in their own place as long as they have a computer screen that's connected to the internet, which is pretty much what you guys are doing here today.
So that's not something that's possible with paper, but it is possible in the digital world. So this is another area where you're starting to experience a sense of freedom because instead of having to schedule a meeting where everybody has to be in the same room and schlep through bad weather and find a place to park, they can simply log into their computers and look at the documents. And the only limitation there is that everybody has to have an internet connection and the internet connection has to be, to be up and running, which of course it's not always going to be, but then the highways aren't always running either. So um, it's not really a big deal. It's a small trade-off and actually the benefits are much greater. So that's one thing. The other thing about being paperless, for those of you that might be in a, a big firm, you'll notice this immediately if you ever reach the stage that I did where you say, oh, uh, I'm paperless now. I would rather work in a smaller overhead environment, um, so I want to go out on my own. Well, if you, if you have paper, then you have the limitation of saying, well, let me get all my files, let me copy them. You have the awkward discussion about who's going to pay for it, which files you're allowed to copy, and all of that kind of thing. Obviously, you have to have your client's permission to take the files and all of that has to be worked out. But assuming that you're not doing something improper or unethical, you, you can do what I did, which is you say, I'm leaving the firm now. I'm going to go out on my own. I'll just take my laptop, close it up, walk out the door, say goodbye to everybody, and open up my laptop in the new place. So that's how it works if you're leaving a firm. But that same principle means you can do that basically with your documents anywhere, anytime. So if you're going to court, you take your laptop, you close it up, you walk into court. You open it up, there are all your files. You need to send somebody a file, it's very easy to do over the internet. So all of a sudden now, all of this information that's very important to you and important to your clients and to whomever you're collaborating with, you're suddenly finding it very easy to distribute that information, to send it to them, to share it, and to collaborate. Again, huge sense of freedom, more efficiency, um, better work for you and your clients. And the main thing really is this idea of being able to work at home or to work from anywhere really, you know, at any moment that you need to work. Now, here's where a lot of lawyers say, well, and this is valid, of course, if you're stressed out, you know, you don't need more places to go work. But the reality is because you're creating this flexibility you're not feeling like you have to go do more work. What's happening is you're spending less time commuting to go back to your office because you need to receive that fax that somebody sent you that can only be seen at the building where the fax spits out the paper, or you need to go um, work on something really quickly, you know, and if your files are back at the office and you have to go to the office, or if you forgot something back at the office, or if you're at a client meeting and suddenly you realize you need to access some piece of paper that you didn't think you were gonna need to access, or if you're in court and the judge says, um, you know, where's this document and you can pull it up. So it's this ability to access your information at a moment's notice from anywhere. Obviously an internet connection is required, but these days the internet connection is everywhere, including in court. So you can work from anywhere and that gives you a great sense of freedom and enhances your productivity. So those um, are some of the benefits of being paperless, right? So now the next question that comes up, well, actually is a series of questions and I've heard these questions before, I'm gonna work through them. The first question is the obvious, you know, what is a paperless law practice? So we've talked about the benefits, but um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of misunderstanding about what a paperless law practice is. So I've heard this many times. People will say, well, 
isn't it impossible to be completely devoid of paper? And the answer is yes, obviously you can't get rid of all paper. And so don't get confused by the word, you know, paperless. Uh, what it really means is less paper, not no paper. So the goal isn't to try to get rid of all paper. That's, that's the misconception. The goal is to try to be more efficient. The goal is to try to be more productive. The goal is to try to be able to collaborate with people anywhere. The goal is to have more freedom, all of those things that we just talked about. So that's what you're shooting for. And so what you're going to do is not get rid of absolutely every scrap of paper as though you're some obsessive person who's on, you know, some global, um, you know, quest to do something that's impossible. What you're trying to do is just diminish the amount of paper that you have to deal with. So that's it. So the, you know, the question is simply, you know, what kind of documents do we have to keep in paper format and which ones do we want to keep in paper format and which ones make our life easier? But the first question that comes up is, well, which documents do we have to keep in paper format? And the answer to that is things like wills, promissory notes, um, maybe original affidavits. I don't know. You can figure it out. It's not really hard. I mean, wills and promissory notes are the obvious ones, but every jurisdiction might have you know, different things that lawyers are required to keep in paper format, you'll know what those things are, right? Now, the reality is that you're more likely to um, to overthink this and to keep more things in paper format than you really need to, but that's okay, because remember, the goal isn't to get rid of every scrap of paper. So in the beginning, as you're kind of going down this journey, you will tend to assign the, uh, you know, the tag of must keep to more things than you really do, but that's okay. The way I answer this question, you know, in the most global way possible, because everybody, of course, wants you to answer the question, not with the answer, it depends, but rather something that, you know, is set and forget. My answer to this question is, whatever pieces of paper make your life easier, keep that in paper format. So for example, let's say you're a criminal lawyer and you go to court and often you get your case because it's assigned to you in court, they hand you the file, it's a paper file. Obviously you're not gonna run back to the office and scan it, nor are you going to set up a portable scanner and suddenly start scanning furiously. That's gonna take time. That's not gonna make your life easier, right? So you're not gonna do that. You're going to do whatever you have to do with that piece of paper. And then maybe if later on, you know, you take that paper home and you want to scan it because that makes your life easier. You do that. But what you're trying to do is look at pieces of paper and say, am I going to need to access this later on? If so, is it going to be easier for me to do that if it's in paper, paper format? Once you set up a system to deal with digital documents, you'll know which documents you need to scan and which ones you don't. So this question really gets answered by you once you start down the path. So that's really kind of, you know, the answer to the question of what documents should be in paper format is whatever will make your life easier. So, you know, you know what you must keep, it's whatever those things are, whatever should be, you know, if, if you're not clear about what you must and what you should, just assign it the tag that you should. So there are a lot of things in my life that I keep in paper format, and I know this might surprise some of you, but, uh, you know, I write notes. I like writing um, and yellow pads. I like the process of thinking through writing, right? And, and you tend to remember more. There's studies about that. 
yes, I may never look at those notes again, but the act of writing helps me remember them. And yes, it's true. I could use an iPad, and I have friends who are lawyers who are very adept with iPads, and they use the styluses, and they keep talking about the latest stylus that will work really great with the latest iPad. I've tried all that, and that just doesn't work for me. I mean, I don't want to think about battery power and whether I need to reboot something. If I'm going to start thinking with notes, a pen and paper works really well for me. Now, what happens if that paper I suddenly realize is really important? Well, I just scan it into my system, okay? So it's not like because it's paper, I can make it digital and vice versa. If it's you know digital, I can print it out if I want to. So if there's a document that's in a PDF format, we'll talk about this in a second, and I say, gee, I want to write notes on that, I can print it out and write notes. So we're not stuck in one format or the other. We're just talking about what makes our life easier, right? If you want to keep a paper calendar, keep a paper calendar. Again, it's whatever makes your life easier. I'm not saying you have to like go completely digital. And anybody who tells you that that's what you should do, just ignore them. I mean, you're, you're, you'll figure out what you need to do as you move along. So that's, um, that's that answer. Now, the, the next question, and this is a question that you know, most people already know the answer to this one, but I'll just tell you that when I started this process back in 2001, it wasn't clear what format you know, one should scan their paper to or what, what format you should convert your paper to. Back then, there were these, I mean, there still are these things called TIFF files, and if you hire a service bureau or some robust scanning company, they may scan them to TIFF, and, they, and if you load them into some service or some software like Summation, they may be TIFF files. I personally prefer PDFs, and I think PDFs are pretty much the standard now. It's not a big guess, right, because PDFs are the standard that most courts use for e-filing, and any so all federal courts are now using PDFs uh, for e-filing, right? And any state court that's going to adopt e-filing at this point is almost certainly going to use PDFs because it's become the dominant standard. So there are a lot of things about PDFs that make it um, that make it useful, right? So one of the benefits um, is, you know, I jokingly say it, it tastes like chicken. And I say that because whenever people ask about something new that they're eating and somebody says, well, it tastes just like chicken, then that makes them want to eat it and not ask the question, well, why don't I just order chicken? So with PDFs, it, the thing it's just like is it's just like paper, right? So it's, it's just like paper in the sense that you can take a piece of paper, scan it in, it becomes a PDF. If you want to deal with it as paper again, you print it out and that, that PDF will look just like paper because you printed it on paper. That was the whole point of, uh, of, a P, of the PDF standard, was it has all the same features as a piece of paper, right? So it, it's, you know, however it's formatted, when you format it and you print your Word document to a PDF, once it becomes a PDF and you send it to somebody, unlike if you send them a Word document or a WordPerfect document, it doesn't reformat based on the printer they have. The way it looks becomes fixed. And so page one is page one, page two is page two, and nothing shifts around. So it has the same features of paper. And when you print it out, it still has the same features of paper. You can read it, you can see what it says. But the thing about PDFs is it has other features that paper doesn't have. So for example, with PDFs, you know, you don't need to have file cabinets. That's one feature that's nice, right? You can store the stuff electronically on a computer doesn't take up a lot of space. You can transmit it. We talked about that. 
you can highlight PDFs, you know, so you can be reading a PDF and say, oh, there's a passage I want to highlight. You can highlight it. So that's, that's um, you know, that's one thing you can do. You can also um, digitally sign PDFs if you want to. And basically that means, you know, you just create a little digital signature and it's a little image uh, graphic that you can paste into any document that you want to digitally sign. We can talk about how that works. You can transmit these PDFs by email. You can bait stamp them. You can create bookmarks, which in the lingo of PDFs is basically like putting like a little sticky tab to mark some place in the PDF that you want to come back to. You can create forms out of PDFs. In fact, you can take a paper form, which has lines and is all filled out by whatever court you're using, scan it in, use Adobe Acrobat, and it'll quickly detect all those places and create a form in about three seconds. You can redact easily. You can password protect PDFs so they can only be opened by the person who knows the password. So you can protect your documents at a document level as opposed to in the paper world, you have to lock them in cabinets or in closets. And we already talked about search. So those are all the kinds of things that you can do with PDFs that you cannot do with paper. And again, remember, you can always print the PDF back out to paper. So you're not locking yourself into some strange land that you don't want to be stuck in. Now, the, the main benefit of um, PDFs is the search function. And that's something really that every lawyer should know how to do. And Jared had mentioned uh, my book, PDF Essentials for Lawyers. That book really is designed to kind of get people who don't have the paid for software, namely Adobe Acrobat, um, get them up and running really quickly with PDFs. So it's designed to teach you the key PDF skills. And the one that is the most important that is taught is how to find things really quickly in a PDF. You, every lawyer should know how to open up a PDF. And if it is text searchable, find the language in that document really quickly or find language or documents in a bunch of PDFs, which Adobe Reader can do as well. So being able to search PDFs to me is a key skill that every lawyer today should have. Um, the main thing about PDFs, right, is that, you know, once you understand the benefits, and I think everybody kind of understands the benefits now, is the trick is learning how to use it. So as I mentioned, you know, there's, there's two books that I've written. One is called Adobe Acrobat One Hour for Lawyers, which the ABA published, came out last year. That's a great book if you are past the basic stage and you have Adobe Acrobat, which costs either $300 or $420. Um, if you're a Windows user, if you're a Mac user, you can only buy the $400 version. If you have that software, then you can do things like bait stamping and redaction and, you know, lots of great stuff that is very useful. But if you don't have that, then as I mentioned, the, the book that I just put out, PDF Essentials for Lawyers, is the one that you want to get. So where do you start if you're saying, okay, I, I, I get it. I want to, you know, create a paperless law office. So as I mentioned, you kind of already have started. Right. So the trick is, as I said, to strategically leverage the momentum that you've already built up. Right. And to not do anything that's going to make your life more difficult. So, as I say, often when I talk about this, the key to technology is, when you're trying to figure out how to leverage it is to go find the low hanging fruit. Right. Find the things that are going to work easily that hopefully you can implement without hiring a consultant and that are going to be reliable and then are gonna deliver a big payoff. That's low hanging fruit. The stuff that seems like a good idea, either because some consultant told you it was a good idea or you thought it was a good idea or your friend who's techie told you it was a good idea, 
but it's not a good idea for lawyers. You know, those things that wind up blowing up, and I'm pretty sure everybody here has several examples of that, those are called landmines or explosions, and you want to avoid those. So if you avoid the explosions and the landmines, and then you leverage things strategically, slowly, steadily, then you're going to be happy and you're going to proceed in a way that's sensible, smooth, and not disruptive. So the, the keys here to avoiding the landmines are doing things that are frustrating and unnecessary. Are, number one, don't scan closed files. And some of you will get this right away, but some of you will resist this and say, well, no, I want to start with the closed files. And there's lots of different reasons why people always come up with this as the place that they want to start. First, it's safe. Yes, that's true. It's safe. You know, these are files that are not in active circulation. So, you know, if you wanted to test a system, that'd be fine. You know, maybe you would want to start with a few closed files. But the problem with closed files is they're useless. They're closed. You're not working on them anymore. So they're not, you're not going to get any benefit out of them, except for occasionally when a client calls you up and says, hey, do you have this document? And you can find it quickly if it's in a closed file, which is great. You know, it's wonderful. Um, I've done that and clients are happy with that, but that doesn't happen a lot. So you don't want to start there because that takes just as much effort and it isn't going to have any payoff. The other thing is you don't want to start with files that have been open too long because um, it's kind of the same problem. You know, this, it's a big challenge and if you screw things up or you get frustrated, you're going to think you shouldn't do this at all. So the best thing to do is to start with new cases because there's not a lot to do, right? And so they're moving slowly. They're developing organically, so you have plenty of time to kind of study each problem as it comes up. And you can just pick one new case, right, and say, okay, this is going to be the test case. We're going to start with this one. And just work on that one until you feel like you've gone far enough and you've figured out how things work in that case. Then you can pick it up with the next case. And at some point, you're going to know you have a system that's reliable, that's your system that works well for you and that everybody in your world, you know, your office knows about. And then you can start scanning the cases that have been open a little longer and so forth and proceed backwards and eventually maybe you'll even start scanning closed files, although I doubt it. So that's the way you proceed. Now, the other question that comes up, and this is an important question obviously, is what are the ethical implications of creating a paperless practice, right? So by now, I'm pretty sure everybody has heard at least once the discussion about how the ABA um, model rules have changed the comments to Rule 1.1, which talk about competence. And these rules have been changed as a result of the ABA 2020 initiative. That initiative had to do with technology, and basically the message, in a nutshell, was that lawyers have to consider both the benefits and the risks of using technology. And although it doesn't say this, I mean, really, it, it should, and it's kind of obvious that this is how it works, is you consider those risks and benefits and do what? You weigh them, right? You figure out, well, okay, in this instance, the benefits are massively great, the risk is low, okay, I probably should use this technology. Or, oh, this has great risk, but it also has great benefit, how do I diminish the risk? That's really the trick, right? So one of the things, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you can do here, but this is not an ethics um, discussion, a full-blown ethics discussion. So let's just limit it to the obvious one that we can knock out really quickly. So one of the things you can do, I'm sure all lawyers have an engagement letter. If they don't, they should, um, that you send to your clients, your prospective clients, and say, here are the terms under which I work. If you agree to this, this is how we're going to proceed. So what you can do right now before you start down this path of being completely paperless 
is you can create an engagement letter and anticipate all of the things you're going to want to have in the engagement letter when you are completely paperless. Because one day, you're going to be completely paperless, and you're going to have all these files, and you're going to say, oh, gee, do I have my client's permission to get rid of these? Gee, my client isn't even around anymore. Hmm, I wonder what I should do. I guess I'll just keep paying the file storage company uh, money to, to, to store paper that I'll never see again. You don't want to do that. So what you want to do is have an engagement letter that addresses that eventual contingency. Um, actually, it's not a contingency. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a truth one day. So what you want to say in your engagement letter is these things. Number one, I'm going to scan all my files to PDF. Hey, client, that's what I do. I'm going to destroy every piece of paper that I get except for the promissory notes and the wills or whatever you have to keep that you know the law requires you to keep or whatever you want to keep, right? So you, you tell them you're going to destroy all that other kind of paper, the stuff you don't need to keep. Then you can say to them, oh, and if you want that paper, then you, I'll send it to you. And every lawyer I know who has put this in their engagement letter, and I've had it in there for years, the clients never want the paper, right? So you've, you've disclosed, you've told them what you're going to do, they never want the paper. Then you tell them you're going to keep the digital copy of the files for however many years you're going to keep it. The reality is you're probably going to keep it forever because it's more trouble to get rid of it than to keep it, although if you have to get rid of it for file non-retention purposes, you do that. But generally speaking, it's easier to just keep it. So you tell them you're going to keep it, that you'll provide them a copy upon request. You can say upon written request. And you can say that this engagement letter is going to be scanned to PDF and it's valid as a PDF. That's pretty much covering all the bases. Now, what do you need in order to go down this path and become paperless? Remember I said it's even easier today than it was when I started? Well, it is, and this is why. It's really obvious what you need, and it's not a lot. You need a scanner, and the scanner that I recommend that you get is the Fujitsu ScanSnap. This is the scanner that's been around for years. Um, there are other scanners around now, and if you have one and it's working great, that's wonderful. And if you want to tell me about it and tell me how great it is, that's wonderful too. The reason I recommend the Fujitsu ScanSnap is um, it works. It's easy to set up. It's reliable. It's been around for a bunch of years. Uh, every tech-savvy person I know uses it. Um, maybe some other people use something else, but I'm just trying to save you the, the dilemma of trying to figure out what might work. So I can tell you for sure this works. If you want to try something else, go for it. But remember, you're on the path that might be the path to a landmine. I can guarantee the Fujitsu ScanSnap is low-hanging fruit. The next thing you need is PDF software. So for that, we, you know, you'd need either the free Adobe Reader software or Adobe Acrobat. Now, there are other kinds of software out there. If you're a Mac user, there are things like um, a PDF Pen or PDF Pen Pro. They're in the in the Nitro in the um, Windows world. There's Nitro PDF. There's Nuance. There's a lot of different kinds of software. Again, if you want to save money and you are pretty tech savvy, or you have access to people that are tech savvy that are going to help you with that software, great. I have no problem with that. I don't always love Adobe. Adobe does things that annoys me to no end. You can read about my annoyances in any of my books because I'm upfront about them. So I'm not saying you have to use Adobe. The reason I recommend Adobe is it's been the 600-pound gorilla for many years, and so it's kind of the one we know works. You know a PDF is going to open with Adobe. 
and the reader is free, so why not start with the reader? So that's you know kind of my my big message to you: start with the reader. If you have Acrobat, great. If you want to save money and you don't want to get Acrobat, then you can explore some of those other options. But um, you do need PDF software, and you do need to know how to use it really well, because the more adept you are at, at manipulating PDFs, and by manipulating I mean you know putting a page in between two pages, rotating pages. Zooming in on a page, you know, to see text that's hard to see, searching, all that stuff that you can do with paper. You know, if you can do that with PDFs, uh, and remember, there's more things you can do with PDFs than with paper. The more adept you are at dealing with PDFs, the more comfortable you're going to be, the more productive you're going to be, the happier you're going to be, and the less you're going to want to have paper around. So getting adept with PDF software is the key. Which software you use, that's up to you. You're going to need a file management system because you're going to have all these little digital files. And you're going to need to put them somewhere. But the odds are you already have a file management system, I'm guessing, because you're using word processing. Um, and so you have your files stored in some kind of system, right? And whatever system you're using, that's probably going to work for PDFs. Do you need a consultant? No, not at first. At some point, you probably will if you grow and your firm gets bigger. But um, to start out, no, you don't, need a, you don't need a consultant. So it's simple and easy. This is what the Fujitsu ScanSnap looks like. As you can see, it's got a document feeder. You can put 50 pieces of paper in there at once. You can mix and match and put legal and letter in there. You can put business cards in there. Um, you just push the button and it rolls through and it's very reliable and easy. So that's the Fujitsu ScanSnap. As I said, the PDF software is a choice between Reader, which is free, or Acrobat, which costs money, or whatever else you want to try. These are the books. Actually, the PDF Essentials book now um, is on sale for $9.95 if you want to get that. The Acrobat book is $40 if you get it through the American Bar Association, but if you get it through Amazon, I think it's $34 now. And if you get it as an iBook in the Apple world, if you want to get it on your iPad, I think it's $29. So those are your choices there. As for file management, um, this is kind of, if you don't have a system in place, this is, you know, what I would recommend is that you create a folder that relates to each case you're working on or each matter if you're a transactional lawyer. And then you kind of create subfolders depending on how you want to manage things. The reason I have the 01 in front of pleadings and 02 in front of correspondence is because if I put those leading numbers, I can control how those subfolders sort, right? So you're probably all familiar with this idea that what you put inside of a digital folder gets sorted according to some alphanumeric scheme. So this is how you control that. You put whatever number you want to go first, a space, and then describe it, and then it will sort in the order that you want it. Then within the subfolders, the, as to the files themselves, you just create a simple file naming system. And here again, if you have, you know, may, some of you may have already done this. But if you haven't, this is the way I would go about it, is that I would have the, um, the year first, or well, in, in general, the date goes first. And, and so you see 2005-12-25, then a space, then some sort of description. What the description is, how you describe it, that's up to you. There are a lot of options there. Um, people get really go, go really crazy. Um, but whatever system you use, you know, you're going to try to enforce it, I think, on other people that are either in your firm or might join your firm in the future. So the more complicated it is and more intricate it is, the more you're going to have to pay attention to training them to make sure that they're doing it exactly the way you want them to. So I, I stick to a simple system, but you can go crazy if you want to. Uh, 
So that's the date first. And you'll see that what happens with the date is that you start with, so as I said, date description. But with the date, what you want is the year, then some kind of you know, separator, then the month, then the day. Now, what I did in this example here is I used a four-digit date descriptor. You don't have to. You could put 05. The problem with that is when you're looking at those numbers, it then becomes hard to see is the 05 a day, a month, or is it the year. So if you put a four-digit year, you can know right off the bat that's the year descriptor. right? So it's the year, some kind of separator. It can be a dash. It can be a dot. It can be a slash. It can be an underscore, whatever you want. And then two digits for the month, and then same thing, two digits for the day. Now, why are there two digits? The reason why there are two digits is because if you only put one, then when it gets to the, let's say, January versus November, it'll sort in a wacky way. So to make sure that January for the month goes before November, you put the zero one to indicate it's January, and then it'll sort properly. So you want everything to be tidy, you need to use the same number of digits. So that's basically it. I mean, that's the file naming system, and that's how it works with the with the date. Pretty basic. Um, oh, I should mention that the reason why I chose a dash between um, the, the the dates, you know, is as opposed to a slash or a dot, is that when I have to print out a list of all of my files, and if I'm printing it out and it's capturing the file name, which many programs do, it looks more normal to have a dash between those things than a dot or a slash or definitely an underscore. Underscore is like computer geeky stuff. So that's why I chose that. Now, the next question, if you want to be able to instantly access your client documents that are now digital from anywhere, anytime, even if you're out of the office, is how are you going to make those documents available to you? And the answer is you're going to use some sort of cloud storage system. And there are lots of cloud storage systems out there. Some of them are unique and special to the legal world, like practice management programs, for example, like Clio or Rocket Matter. And others like Dropbox and SugarSync are not at all legal specific. Um, Google Drive is not legal specific, but you can use any of those to make your files available to you wherever you are. And Dropbox is probably the most popular one, so that's the one that most people know about. NetDocuments is a document management system. So a document management system, briefly, um, is something that if you have more than three users, let's say, and definitely when you get to more than five computer users in your office or your environment, you're going to find when you reach that stage of growth and development that if you're trying to get everybody to coordinate by using this folder system and naming the documents the same way, inevitably some entropy will enter or otherwise known as chaos and people will have trouble, you know, they'll rename the file, they'll you know, they won't adhere to the file naming conventions. They'll accidentally delete stuff. Um, so at that point, when that kind of chaos starts to kick in, usually between three and five users, depending on how militant you are, um, you're going to need to have a document management system. So Dropbox, SugarSync, Google Drive, none of those are document management systems. 
nor is Clio really, although it has a sort of way of managing documents within it. Clio is a practice management system. Um, Net Documents, WorldDocs, iManage, these are systems that let you enforce user behavior. So you're, you know, once you have a DMS or document management system, once you, you know, once you have a DMS, you can constrain all of the users and force them to save every file into that system, right? So then there won't be any chaos then they will have to give it a file name. They will have to give it, you know, it will be associated with the matter number, with the client number and so forth. Um, there's a lot of good things that happen in the document management world. If you need one, this is not the time to talk about this, but I just wanted to give you a flavor and let you know that's kind of a fork in the road that you reach. If you get too big, you need to go with the DMS and start going down that path and that's the path and the point at which you would need to perhaps hire a consultant or not perhaps, you definitely would need to hire a consultant. So as I mentioned, um, you know, what you want to be looking for as you go down this path, right, that you're already on, is those things that let you strategically leverage momentum. So even before you get to the point of buying a scanner or, um, you know, doing different things that, you know, naming your files or whatever, you know, that are down the path, right, you already have email. So one of the things you should do right now is start getting better at managing your email because, you're going to be doing things with email that you weren't doing before when you have a paperless law office, like receiving faxes uh, via the web, which is another low-hanging fruit thing. You should, If you have a fax machine, you should convert to web-based faxing. Those web-based faxes will be delivered to you by email. You're going to find that you're going to be doing more when you're out of the office, so you need to be more adept at dealing with technology when you're out of the office, you're going to need to be a little more reliable. So once you start moving to that point of the, using the cloud and being out of the office, you kind of need to step up your, your tech game. And so all of this stuff about being paperless ties into general technology skills. You need to improve those technology skills. And the last thing I would say that you really need, not, you know, not so much because you have to have it, but when you have it, you will realize you know, very often how useful it is to be completely digital. So having a digital signature, having a way to sign a piece of paper that somebody sent to you by fax, which then you would receive as a PDF if you're using a web-based fax service, or they attach it as an email, however you get it. You know, they say, here's this piece of paper. You need to sign this really quickly and get it back to me. If you know how to sign that PDF using a digital signature, then you can do it in about a minute and save yourself time. So that's a really key thing. And, and I, in the books, I talk about how to do this and I even will set it up for people. Um, you have to pay me now because it you know, takes me out of my general rhythm, but everybody should have a digital signature. Now, the easiest way to do it is if you have an iPad and you have the free Adobe Reader app on the iPad, you can sign really easily with that app and with any app that you would, um, any PDF app on the iPad. So that's the way to get um, the digital signature going. So that's um, basically it. So I hope that you guys um, understand now that there is a way to make your practice simpler, one that will let you lower your overhead, boost profit, um, outmatch big firm opponents um, who aren't paperless, and just generally be a lot less stressed out. You know, this is how you do it. This is the beginning of the path. So. Um, I think it's a better path. I think you'll feel a greater sense of freedom when you go down this path. 
And I'm really excited for anybody that's going down this path. And I want to help anybody who's going down this path. I have learned from in my experience that some people, even after seeing a presentation, need a little guidance. So I've created a free, what I call an email course. And basically, if you go to my paperlesschase.com website and you click the button and sign up, then over a period of days, you'll get a series of emails that will walk you through what I've covered and maybe covered it in a little more detail so that you can stay on this path. Because once you you know, get momentum and you realize you actually do know more than you thought you knew, it's really pretty easy, right? So it's not hard at all. Um, I hope I've answered all of your questions, but if I have not, you can email me or I'll be happy to stick around and you can answer. Um, you can ask me some questions now and I'll be happy to answer them. Hey, great job, Ernie. Thank you. Um, we have three questions at the moment and they're sourcing questions in the main room. So uh, let me start by a question we got earlier. Uh, you talked about using the free version of Adobe Reader as sort of like a starter kit for somebody who hasn't been involved in managing PDFs for all that long. If somebody's going to invest in one of the Adobe suites, which one would you recommend for an attorney? Um, well, the, the I mean, the first thing you're going to need is Adobe Reader. I think Adobe Reader is free. Get it on everybody's computer. Start there. Um, the next thing you need is probably on everybody's computer that's manipulating PDFs in any kind of way, you need something like Adobe Acrobat. So Adobe Acrobat, if you're on a Windows computer, as I mentioned, comes in two flavors, standard, which costs $300, and uh, professional, which costs $420. The difference is professional, you need to do, um, to do redaction and to do bait stamping. I don't think you need the professional on everybody's desk because not everybody's going to be doing it and that doesn't happen every day. So really, I think every law firm, the office, needs at least one copy of Acrobat Professional if they want to do paid, paid stamping and reduction, which they probably do. And then they just need the standard version for everybody else. Or if you want to try to explore those other options, you can, um, but you know they're cheaper, but there's less uh, help out there for how you would use it as a lawyer. Yeah. Until they come out with Adobe Acrobat for lawyers, right? <laughs> exactly, which they never will. <laughs> All right, so we got another question here. Uh, Lee from the web uh, says he's been using Dropbox for a while and agrees that it's great. He likes the Fujitsu scanner too. He doesn't have any employees. And he's looking for, for you, some uh, specific recommendations as to practice management software that you would utilize that would be a particularly effective in a paperless office environment. I know you mentioned Clio, but I don't know if you have any other suggestions in that realm. Yeah, I do. I, ha I, I suggest that you ask Jared that question. And, 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 I'm not, and, I'm not, and I'm not throwing it off to Jared, but here, let, let me tell you. That's fine. I've I learned, see how it is. I know, here's, and here's why. I mean, let me give you the benefit of why I'm actually saying this, and it's really not to be flippant, is that people, lawyers, when they say, oh, you, gee, you seem to know a lot about technology, and I do. I've tried to learn everything I can. And when I left the big firm to go out on my own, I, I looked at all the practice management software that was available then, and I was afraid to try any of it because I was afraid – because I knew once I committed, I was stuck with whatever I, I chose. So I, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't pick. And then it kept changing, and I couldn't pick. And it kept changing, and I couldn't pick. And I realized there are very few people that know how to advise somebody on that question, and I've never been one of them. But people like Jared are. You know, I, I assume, you know, you don't mind if I say people like Jared. Jared, you are one of those people. The, the people who work for the, uh, the, the practice management assistants for state bars, they have to know that, and they pay attention, and they're not invested in any particular one. So there is no one size fits all, I can tell you that for sure. 
Um, I mentioned Clio because I used Clio and that's what I used. That, that's all I know. Right. I'm amazing, Ernie. You got that right. Um, yeah. I'm not going to mention any specific providers here. I don't want to piss off any of our vendors. But yeah, if you got a question, ask us and personally we can talk to you about it. So we have another question from the web from Joseph who says, how do I get around firewalls when sending large PDF files? Um, well, the, what, oh, so what I use is there's a, is a service that Adobe has, which used to be called Send Now, which now I think is just called Adobe Send, and it used to cost $19 a month, and I would have recommended it even if it cost $19. Now it costs $19 a year, oh. and the way you get around it is you upload whatever file you want to send to Adobe. Well, let me back up and say you can use Dropbox, and you can use services where you upload it, and they click on a link, and then the link lets them download it. But I don't recommend that you do that for anything that you're sending to opposing counsel, or that you're worried, you know, might be pollute, you know, you might accidentally, um, you know, let let loose something that you have, right? So it's very easy to do this if you use Dropbox or something else. So if you're sending a file to opposing counsel, then I would use Adobe Send Now, and I would just get it because. You know, for 19 bucks a year, it's there's no reason not to do it. And what it lets you do is you upload it to Adobe servers. It sits up there. Then when the person downloads it, you well, you get an email saying they downloaded it. If two days later they download it again, you get another email. So it's it's really good at letting you know when it's been downloaded. Plus you have a record now that they did download it. You can set the t length of time during which they can download it for a day, a month, whatever you want. And so forth. So it's really that's one to me that I think every lawyer who's dealing with PDF should just get the Adobe Send Now and pay them the you know 19 bucks a, month, a year for that service. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Ernie. Um, anybody got any questions? It's uh, speak now or forever hold your peace time because we got to let Ernie go and enjoy the balmy weather down in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, it's only 28 degrees. <laughs> 28 degrees. If only it was 28 degrees here. <laughs> I'm amazed at the people that came into our office today, given the weather conditions outside. And I'm going to go thank them all personally momentarily. Those who are interested, uh, Rachel Casper, which is the name under uh, my video cam, that's my alias. So if you have any questions, definitely send them to Rachel Casper. So we have one more question already that's coming in from the uh, from the event room. So I'm waiting for that. Okay. Oh, while, while we have a second, uh, I know you told people a little bit about where they can access stuff from you. Um, but Paperless Chase is one of your websites, right? Do you want to tell anybody about any other places where they can find Well, that's really – that's it. I've, I've consolidated all my, my stuff into paperlesschase.com. I used to have one for PDFs called PDF for Lawyers, but it's too hard to administer all of that stuff. So it's just paperlesschase.com. And like I said, there's the free email course. And anything else I talk about, you pretty much can learn about there. Yeah. How efficient of you. All right. Uh, <laughs> somebody wants to know about digital signatures. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about their use in sure. practice and then any security concerns that people should have about those? Okay. Yeah. Well, so, all right. So, uh, digital signatures. For, let me address the security concern first. Mm -hmm. So, people, this, this question invariably comes up, like after I show people how to create the digital signature and how easy it is and amazing, which I can't do right now <laughs> because I, I'm not set up to do it. But yeah. I have videos that show you this and so forth. So, that, but when I show them, they go, oh, that's really great. But, gee, what if I I can't do this because if somebody got my signature, then they'd be able to sign my name. Well, here's the problem with that. If you have your signature in the wild, meaning you've signed a piece of paper at any time in your life, and unless you've kept all those pieces of paper that you've signed under lock and key 
okay? It's out there. If I can see it on my computer screen, scan it, take a picture of it with my iPhone, I can create a digital signature with your image in the same amount of time that I create any other digital signature. So, you know, you're not protecting it by limiting how people can access it. You're limiting it by the same way you've always limited it by, which is you're hoping that somebody's not going to commit fraud, and generally most people don't. Now, the reality is a true digital signature, one that has all the bells and whistles, you know, it, it, it is secure because it basically imprints a password into the PDF, and if the PDF gets changed, it throws up a flag. And so that's one of those things where in theory you go, oh, that's great. Well, then I want a true digital signature. In practice, you never want a, a true digital signature unless you're dealing with other people who are completely up to speed on this thing because a true digital signature means it's like if Jared and I are going to have one, I have to send him my email, my, uh, my profile, and he has to send me his. Now we know, you know that's Jared, that's Ernie. And if we don't do that, then it's going to throw up a flag and it's going to look weird. So a true digital signature just kind of can look weird to most people. So the easiest thing to, in you know, whatever the legal definition of digital signature is, let's put that aside. Let's just treat it like what you want that it would be if you scan the paper and put it back in. So that thing that looks like I printed it out and scanned it and signed it, you know, signed it and scanned it and put it back in, I can accomplish that with a stamp. So what I do is I take a an image, I scan it in, I make a stamp out of it in Adobe Acrobat or whatever software. And then whenever I need to, to sign something, I just plop that down wherever the signature is, scrunch it down to the right size, you know, make it look like I want it to make it look, flatten it so that it's now locked onto that PDF and nobody can move it around. It's not so much as they can't take a picture of it, it's so that they can't move it around or accidentally delete it and then go, wait a second, what happened to the signature? So you gotta flatten it, lock it in, and send it off. That's the process, right? And then how you get a digital signature is not that hard. Even in Adobe Reader, you can sign PDFs now and use the Adobe system, and then they take care of all this problem of sending the signatures back and forth. So Adobe is making it easier, but they charge money to do this process. So you can get five of those done for free, but then they're going to charge you like $14 a month. So the stamp is the trick. And I'll tell you that... Um, I always wondered how federal courts, you know, how the judges who are signing PDFs sign things. And I had the opportunity to go down to the local court in New Orleans. And a friend of mine who's a judge was showing me his, you know, various things he did. And I said, wait a second, show me how you sign your orders. Because I worked in federal court and I remember it was a big pain to do this back in the day. And he said, oh, it's really easy. I go into my Adobe thing and he goes up and he grabs a signature stamp and does exactly what I'm telling you you should do. So if and I presume that all federal judges do it the same way. So if that's how they do it, that's that's good enough for everybody. So the trick is just, you know, sign it however you sign it. If you don't like the way it looks when you use the free Adobe Reader thing, that's what you can, you know, I think it's $20. You can click and send me, you know, your physical signature by mail or however you want to send it to me. And I'll make one so it looks exactly like yours looks so that you're happy. Great. So, Ernie, I have a suggestion for a follow-up. We can do signatures yeah. in the wild next time. That can be our next. I love one. it. I love it, and I can wear like a pith helmet. <laughs> yes, yes, and I'll wear a cheetah print shirt. I promise you that. <laughs> cool. All right, just let me know. You know, we're, I'm ready. Shake, rattle, and roll. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna hold on for a couple seconds here, just to see if anybody has any more questions. Okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah. If you can yeah. send some beignets up, that would be tremendous. 
you know, see, there, there's the problem. I, I'd have to send them by mail. I can't, I can't transmit them digitally. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> sign for them digitally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, so I think we're. I don't see any more questions coming in. Okay. Well, people no can email me. My flip phone, none on uh, my uh, my uh, webinar management portal here. But Ernie, why don't you? It sounds like you're going to tell people how they could get in touch with you if they want to ask. Go ahead and do that. Er, yeah, Ernie at paperlesschase.com. That's my email address. And, or if you just Google Ernie attorney, you can find, you know, my personal site, all this bad stuff people have said about me, you know, um, I'm kidding. Uh, there's nothing. Bad <laughs> Not true. <laughs> I, well, they have, it's just, it's been covered up by all the blog posts and, and, um, other stuff that I've released into the wild. <laughs> yeah. Paperless yeah. chase. Very clever, by the way. Probably not enough oh, people thanks. tell you that. Oh, thanks. Well, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Now uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join us for the next episode covering legal marketing topics, including promoting, growing, and marketing your law firm and or practice. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.